0: This is Undefiled, a podcast dedicated to demystifying biblical truths about sex, love, and marriage. I'm your host, David Grahams. You should know about me that I love marriage, and it's because I love marriage so much that I want Christians to experience thriving relationships and marriages, a healthy and shameless sexuality, and to be able to talk about these things boldly and confidently with anyone. By listening to this podcast, you'll discover that most of what we think we know about biblical marriage and sexuality has been adulterated by cultural additives. My wife, Allie, and I implore you to renew your mind to a pure biblical understanding and your relationships will be transformed. Whether you're single, dating, married, divorced, I believe this podcast will bless you immensely. If you're interested in reading any of my books, visit valiantmi.com store. Let's get to it. Hey Undefiled podcast listeners, David Grahams here. I'm the host of this podcast and today we're talking about chapter 6 of my newest book, Undefiled, The Supernatural Power of Sex as God Intended It. Again, looking into chapter 6, this one is called A Holy Marriage is a Hot Marriage. Now the reason why I titled it that is because we're going to talk about how God's definition of great, or I should say biblical sexual intimacy has to be holy which means untouched untainted uninfluenced by sin so we're going to talk about how you can bring the holiness of god into even spiritual intimacy but primarily sexual intimacy in a marriage to make it everything that god intended it to be and so we're going to talk about that in this episode now i want to give a brief update an announcement that i've given the past couple episodes and it's about this small group discussion guide for undefiled so together with the book if you're in a small group setting or even as a couple i highly encourage you to get yourself a copy of this it's short and sweet it's spiral bound and it just gives you for each chapter discussion questions to follow gives you a set of rules to help you guide these these discussions that you have in small groups gives each chapter questions that look like this here and gives you the core scriptures for each chapter that you or your spouse or you and your small group will study. This is great for anyone, whether it be a small group of young adults who are single, whether this be married couples, friends, anybody. It's just a great way to guide you through what the Bible says about sexuality, about love, and about marriage. So I highly encourage you to get this. It's on the website, valiantmi.com store. It's about $8. You can get a copy, for it, a copy of it for yourself. It's free shipping. And the books are free shipping as well. Okay, so now moving on to the chapter, chapter six. Again, this is in... Uh, or it's titled, A Holy Marriage is a Hot Marriage. Now, I'm just going to start by reading just a little bit out of the beginning of the chapter to introduce you effectively to what I'm going to talk about in this episode. This is where things start to get narrowed down to what you can do today to improve the quality of your sex life with your spouse, make things meaningful, fun, exciting, and ultimately supernaturally powerful. If you're not married, the content of this chapter will help you prepare for a healthy marriage. It all comes down to holiness. If you remember what I mentioned a few chapters ago, a twisted form of sexuality is celebrated and advertised by the secular world everywhere. And the result? Countless Christian marriages suffer from sexual perceptions being distorted by secular media. God wants our marriages to be holy. He wants them to be untainted by sinful philosophies. He wants our sex lives to be untainted as well. What does does an untainted sex life look like, and how is that achieved? That's what I'll be dealing with in this chapter. You'll be pleased to know that when holiness defines a sex life, it becomes more exhilarating than anything that Hollywood tries to promote. First of all, I must remark that the things produced and promoted by the adult entertainment industry are fake, artificial, and destructive to any marriage. Why? They're not intended to foster healthy monogamous relationships. They're designed purely to entertain, to attract and intrigue the masses, and ultimately to entrap people. Pornography, for one, is extremely addictive. It is not made to exemplify a godly, secure, and loving marital relationship. Far from it. It's specifically formulated to create the most enticing sexual fantasy possible, but that's the problem. It's just fantasy, and a lustful one at that. It causes people to imprint themselves upon a false sexual reality that makes a relationship with a real husband or wife seemingly disappointing or jaded. It encourages lust and selfishness disfigures love and ultimately it destroys a person's god-given ability to experience the unprecedented fulfillment of real love and i'll stop there for now so to continue my introduction here for this episode here's what i want to share hollywood pornography secular media has pervaded into every aspect of society Even down to the level of Christian marriages, there are so, so many Christian married people who have an idea of what their relationship should look like that is drawn from secular media, from shows on Netflix, things on YouTube, just all kinds of stuff, even the music that we listen to. And my reason for bringing this up is that the Bible says, based on Hebrews 13, that a marriage needs to be or should be undefiled. That means untouched by sin. The Bible says that we're to hate even the garment defiled by the flesh in Jude, the epistle of Jude. The point is that to fear God is to hate evil. So to hate me, evil means to stand in such an established holiness and purity that our heart, our nature despises even the slightest notes or indications of sin. To hate even the garment defiled by the flesh. So you don't just hate sin, you hate what sin touches. So that means if sin has influenced what I watch, what I listen to. Those things that I watch and listen to will carry into my marriage. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, I believe it's verse 33, that evil communications corrupt good habits and do not be deceived. Evil communications corrupt good habits. So when you want to build good habits in your marriage, if the communication of marriage advice, you could say in this context, is coming from secular media, then it is going to produce a corruption of those good habits so we need to get down what it means to have a holy marriage if you want your marriage to look like what God says it should and all of its beauty and all of its excitement and exhilaration that we see spelled out in Song of Solomon for example that it needs to be holy because everything that God creates and everything that is in God is light and there is no darkness in it at all so if you want your marriage to be built on a foundation of scripture and of God's word and God's standard There can't be any darkness in it at all. And so one of the most crucial steps when it comes to purifying and just vitalizing your marriage is to make it holy. So how do we do that? Well, it starts with thinking about as individuals where our idea of marriage and relationships comes from. Now, to bring this, boil this down to sexuality specifically, knowing that that is the realm or chamber of intimacy that influences every other aspect of the marriage based on previous episodes i've done we got to talk about how a a sexuality in sexual intimacy in a marriage becomes holy now i have to say that just speaking from personal experience and from what i see in uh, men's lives in particular all over in marriages is that sometimes men have this idea when it comes to sexual intimacy that needs to look a certain way And in some cases, men think that their wives have to behave a certain way, that they have to act or express themselves in a way that's more like Hollywood. Sometimes men have, even if they're free from pornography, but they were addicted in the past or they were influenced by it in the past, we kind of bring this idea of what sex should look like into our marriages. that are supposed to be founded on the word and on purity. And the issue is that we try to get the help of sin to establish us in holiness. And you cannot do that. When it comes to a marriage, if you, imagining emotional and sexual intimacy in your marriage. Now think about if you had never seen or heard of what anyone from the world taught you about sexuality. What would you believe today about what sex should be and what it should look like? Just try to imagine that because there's a lot of us who have actually inadvertently carried into our present the memories and the philosophies, the paradigms of past sin, and it has caused marriages to be poisoned. And what it does is, like taking Hollywood's example... it it makes it makes sex out to be something that's designed to be a performance that sex is great when you perform great and the idea is then we place this expectation on our spouses that they need to perform a certain way that their sexual expression needs to look in certain way that it's about satisfying me that it's about satisfying my wants my desires my needs and instead of selfless love expressed in an attitude of selflessness and an attitude of holiness and attitude of purity and a desire for nothing but to serve, it becomes self-focused, self-consumed, and then intimacy actually becomes a detriment, or sex becomes a detriment to intimacy as a result, because instead of bonding you together in selflessness and in a desire to love, it makes you dependent on one another's performance and perfection in order to be satisfied in that area of your marriage, which ultimately carries into the rest of your marriage. And so whenever somebody has a performance mentality, which on a small scale, if we really boil it down, looks like an expectation mentality that you expect sex a certain way, you expect it on a certain schedule, expectation in sexual intimacy is a form of performance it is based on the law it's not based on grace which means my spouse has to do this this particular way that our uh, that sex in our marriage needs to look like this particular way because that is the regulations that i have placed on our marriage you are taking the position of a throne that doesn't belong to you and thinking that you are the one who determines what your sexual intimacy should look like and you need to avoid that that is it's demonic i would even say it's of the devil because god is not one who demands performance. It is the grace of God that brings us to to repentance. It is his selfless love having experienced that enables us to love others. And so you can't get in the law when it comes to this. If you're living, expecting performance, you're under the law and not under grace. And the Bible says in Galatians five, that if you expect to be justified by works of the law, you are estranged from Christ and you have fallen from grace is what it says. Now, expecting to be justified by the law does not just mean you justified in the sight of God. If you expect your spouse to be justified in your sight, in other words, if you're creating conditions around you being pleased with your spouse, you are trying to make them feel like they're justified when they meet your expectations, when you meet the regulations of the law that you have demanded they keep, and then that takes... Your spouse and you, your marriage, and it estranges it from Christ so that you've fallen from the power of the grace of God. The Bible says in Acts that in the early church, great grace was upon them. It says about Stephen that he was full of faith and power. Some translations and some early manuscripts say that he was full of grace and power and did great wonders and signs among the people. Here's the thing. If you want your marriage to be a sign and wonder in this world, if you want it to be something that It attracts the attention of the skeptic. It attracts the attention of those whose marriages are struggling. If you want your marriage to be a light and a beacon of hope to people who are in this world, then it needs to be in Christ and full of the grace of God. Because when great grace is upon you, it is what provides the power of God. Because the power, the strength of God, the Bible says, is made perfect in our weakness. So in the midst of weaknesses, shortcomings, and flaws, his strength, his love rests upon us. So... Why do you expect, and for some people, not not blaming you particularly in particular in, in watching this or listening to this, but I'll, I'll just say, if you expect your spouse, or if you only expect to be pleased with your spouse only when they meet certain expectations, then what you're saying is their weakness is something that, in your own mind, you're saying doesn't deserve your love that their weakness needs to be removed, that you're, you're only going to love the perfect parts and you're not gonna love the weak parts, it, it puts you in the position of a slave master instead of a lover. And it makes you an oppressor to your spouse instead of someone who truly loves them. Like I mentioned earlier, it's it's taking a throne of authority that does not belong to you. And the Bible says in Romans 15 verse one that we're to bear with the scruples of the weak. To bear with the scruples of the weak really means to, to love a person even in their weaknesses and bear them up, hold them up because the Bible says love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things and that love never fails. You bear with the scruples of the weak and the Bible says you do not seek to please yourself which means to satisfy or gratify your own emotions or your own feelings. You flee from that. Instead, you bear with someone and if you want the strength and the power and the grace of God to rest on your marriage even in its weaknesses, then you have to be gracious to those weaknesses. The Bible says you let love cover a multitude of sins. When you let love define your marriage and you love regardless of the of those weaknesses, that's when the grace of God steps in to replace the oppression of the law. And as a result, your marriage is empowered and ultimately the 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 effect of that is that those weaknesses, those dead works, the Bible calls it, are washed away by the blood of Jesus. He cleanses you from all unrighteousness. So the idea here is that if you want your marriage and your sexuality and your experience of that in your marriage to be improved, you have to bear with the weaknesses that are present, never expecting a performance, and then that grace that you show to your spouse, regardless of his or her struggles, is what brings this healing life of God that is through the blood of Jesus that says to cleanse to cleanse away every work of unrighteousness. And so I'm applying a lot of scripture to something that people generally wouldn't think speaks to sexuality, but the Bible is relevant to everyone in every situation. And so that's that's why I'm talking about it this way. So that's kind of the first thing to kind of bring this all back to how I started in summary here, that you cannot expect your marriage and your experience of sexuality in that marriage to look like how God has intended it to look if you expect a performance. In fact, if you expect anything at all, any attitude of expectation is based not on the grace of love or the love of God. It is based on works of the law. It's based on the oppression of obligation. And so we can't go there. I've just noticed it and just using my own marriage as a personal testimony here. I've just stopped completely and entirely in general thinking that sex is something I need to ask for in my marriage. Because I, I personally, I don't think husbands should be doing that. Um, not to say that it's... It, uh, Okay, I have, to, I have to clarify here. It is not wrong for a man to want sex. It's not wrong for anyone to want sex in their marriage. But what, when it becomes wrong is that you ask for it from the attitude that you need it or that it is owed to you because it's a marital duty or an obligation that you are placing on your spouse. If you are asking for sex because of a desire for intimacy and mutual edification for your, for your both, for the good of your marriage, if you're asking for sex, then it's good. But if you're asking it for it independently to meet your own needs, then you are speaking, you're asking from a place of hypersensitivity, from a place of insecurity, and from a place of incompletion in your heart when you should know you are complete in Christ regardless of what any person gives to you. And so in my marriage, understanding this, I realized, look, I should not be asking for sex, seeking intimacy in this marriage if this is about me. Because the Bible says, Romans 15, Christ did not seek to please himself. So I shouldn't be asking for sex if that's the attitude with which I'm asking. The reality is, is that when my wife and I come together, we need to realize this is for the good of our marriage and how the good that this intimacy produces has an effect on the world around us and the love of God that exudes from our relationship. That's what we want to produce. If you, if you approach sexuality with that attitude, you never have to ask for it again out of need, because it's not about need anymore. It is about the calling and the purpose of God that's on your marriage, and it gives it a sense of transcendence, which is really what we want to accomplish. And so making sexuality holy with that perspective also means that because love does not seek its own, because love is selfless, if you want your sex life to be holy, to be what God intended it to be, then you cannot seek it with an attitude of selfishness. You can't seek it with an attitude of selfish need. It's not just about intimacy itself it's what leads to it as well. If the attitude that you're cultivating causes you to view intimacy in your marriage as a source or an outlet for gratification, self-gratification in your life, then it's totally, totally wrong. Um, In in a few episodes from now, we're going to get into talking about the, the specific effects that pornography and masturbation can have on a marriage and things like that. But I um, I bring that up because I also want people to know that it's not actually just about pornography. It's not just about, you know, explicit um, influence of the world on, on marriage and sexuality. It's just not, it's not just about masturbation because sometimes people say, well, you know, porn is selfish, masturbation is selfish. It's just focused on you. But here's the problem. Even if a person doesn't struggle with pornography or masturbation, even if that is not a habit in their life, you can still pursue or seek intimacy with your spouse alone with a selfish attitude it's not about whether masturbation or or pornography are an issue in your life it's whether selfishness is an issue in your life because you you deal with the selfishness issue selfishness issue and you deal with the porn and masturbation issue too but if you try to deal with the porn issue apart from dealing with selfishness that may be bound up in your heart bitterness and insecurity that may be bound up in your heart then you're putting the cart before the before the horse and you're just going to be cutting off a plant by the stem instead of pulling pulling it out by the root and if we want to deal with the root problem it has to be about what you believe about self whether you need something and so Um, And so that's really what you got to deal with because you deal with the selfishness issue, I promise you, it fixes every other issue. You realize that you are loved and completed by the Holy Spirit who lives in you, that you're a beloved and chosen child of God, adopted from before the foundation of the world, seen and chosen the elect of God before the foundation of the world. Like all these promises in the Bible and letting those reestablish you in identity, letting those define you, places you, in such a security that you need no particular treatment from a person, even your spouse, to remain content. So all that you can do is give, never needing to receive from a person because you receive everything that you need from God, from the Father, from Christ in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so that's what this this needs to look like. So, I mean, I kind of was getting ahead of myself, but anybody who's got a porn or masturbation issue, first things first. This has got to be like, do you understand what love is? Do you understand what it means to be selfless, to love unconditionally? Do you know that God loves you unconditionally? And, and, and helping people be established in that is just so, so, so helpful. So, okay. So we've covered two things to kind of bring, boil this down more. We've covered that there should be no expectation or performance mentality. That's the first thing. Second thing is that there should be no pursuit of sexual intimacy with an attitude of need because you need to pursue it with an attitude to serve the good of your marriage, not the good of your own feelings. So as I mentioned, and I'll say again, it is wrong to ask for sex in most cases, if and because usually, especially men, when they ask, ask because they believe it's obligatory because they need it because they want it it's about them instead of the good of the marriage itself so those are those two things now next what i want to do is i want to talk about some verses that are in the book of song of solomon and i'm going to give you the references to these verses and i want you guys to read them on your own time and i'm going to give you just some thoughts some notes around these verses in song of solomon and what they actually mean so I'd encourage you, if you're watching or listening with a Bible next to you, to get your Bible, or even get out your phone, and, and look up these verses while we go over this. So I'm just going to read them to you out of the chapter 6 uh, in Undefiled, just a few of them, not all of them, because if you guys don't have the book, I would encourage you to get it, get a copy of it for yourself, and it's just going to be a huge help. So the first reference is going to be based on Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 2 which is where the groom calls his wife a lily among thorns. And so I'm just going to read you the note about this. The groom expresses here that his wife stands out among all other women as though she is a lily, and they are thorns. The rest are thorns. He expresses that no other woman will draw his gaze because he knows that if she is the only lily, looking at other women would actually hurt him not please him. Desiring other women would be a thorn in the side of his marriage. Since she is his wife, his flower, all other women have lost their appeal. God is telling husbands here that any woman they entertain desire for other than their wives will be a thorn to them and lust will only hurt them. That's the thing. When you look outside of your wife seeking to be pleased by images fantasies whatever it may be although it pleases the flesh although it pleases feelings it is actually a thorn in the side of your marriage and you'll find out later if you're not already seeing that now and that's why song of solomon the the groom himself says his wife is the lily all other people are thorns and that he needs to understand that second now let's go to Um, This is looking at Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. If you're taking notes, you should write this down. Song of Solomon 2, verses 8 through 14. Also mentioned in chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And it's also mentioned in chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. And in those passages, here's what it explains. The groom goes through the effort of scrupulously describing his wife's physical features, speaking only of perfection. He moves slow, pays attention to detail. God explains romance to husbands with this example, teaching that it's all about the words and their detail. Also, the groom implores his wife to join him on a romantic excursion, emphasizing that their intimacy demands special experiences together and not just brief sexual encounters. That's what's so cool about Song of Solomon, is that it teaches us that sexual intimacy is supposed to be a process, a journey, that you put Real love and time into it's never supposed to be just a casual encounter. The, the I think the issue with a lot of men in this culture is that instead of teaching men how to romance their wives and how to truly love their wives, it's just become about how to attract them, how to be sexually appealing, how to be masculine, and that it's all about this brief. Encounter that's about satisfying a desire. And it's just so so destructive. So pay attention to detail in song of Solomon. When you read all that stuff about all these details that culturally make sense back then, but now they don't make any sense, they're kind of weird and confusing. Pay attention to that because that's God showing you through his word that this, this this intimacy is intimacy is supposed to be a process, a journey. There's time and romance that goes into it. It's just so so important for men to understand that. Um, okay. So then, uh, I'll keep reading here. In addition, the groom emphasizes that, quote, the time has come, quote, for them to go away together. It is expressed to us that husbands and wives should take full advantage of every opportunity to get away and be alone. Time is short. Intimacy must be faithfully nurtured. It must be cultivated, taken care of. Now, moving forward here. I also want to get into chapter 2 of Song of Solomon, verse 15. This is a, a verse that's quoted frequently, but this is really important, very relevant to this chapter. Song of Solomon 2, verse 15. Based on that verse, I, I write this. We are taught here that little foxes, in quotes, representing the deception and craftiness of the enemy, are those which spoil the vines that represent marriages. Intimacy must be vigilantly guarded because it is delicate. It is delicate. It is delicate. The cunning subtleties of lust, neglect, selfishness, and complacency are those which poison marriages. If you want a healthy marriage, you must be watchful of yourself and absolutely intolerant of any self-centered habits or beliefs. Little foxes that spoil the vine in the Bible. Jesus also talked about that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Paul said the same thing in 1 Corinthians 5. It's a fly in the ointment. It's the, the, the subtleties, the craftiness, the lies, and the deceit of the enemy is like leaven in a lump of dough. You just put a little bit, and it causes the entire lump to inflate with the effects of this evil. That's what happens to marriages little foxes that spoil the vines. The, the, the ways that these little lies can spoil an entire vine is so, so subtle, it's so insidious. And, and pernicious, and so you have to pay very close attention to it, the little lies, the little things you believe, the, the thoughts, the mindsets, the attitude with which you, you approach sexuality and the intimacy in your marriage, the things that you think when, when things aren't quite going right in your marriage, or not going according to your own desires, if you will, the, the, the images that show up on social media, the things that you have an opportunity to look at for a little second longer than you should, it's those little things that spoil marriages. Because whenever you have something that's pure, it, it is taking on the identity and the character of, of childhood. Jesus taught in Matthew 18 that these little ones are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And those little ones, those little children, it's the faith of a child, it's the purity, it's the innocence of a child. And Jesus said that if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it's better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and that you'd be thrown into the sea. And he says that the the angels of these little ones always see the face of my father in heaven. So be careful, pay close attention to these little ones. And the idea is that these little ones are delicate. We have to be careful with them. That it's a huge and extremely serious offense to cause a little one to stumble because of the innocence of their faith and purity. So you take a marriage and you establish it in childlike faith and purity. It is like that little one. It is beautiful, it's pure, it's holy, and it's undefiled but you cause that to stumble. It's better to have a millstone hung around your neck and you'd be thrown into the sea. So you'd be so, so careful that if you want there to be purity established in your marriage, it's easy when that purity is established to cause it to stumble unless you are vigilant and are serious and watchful in your prayers and listen to the Holy Spirit and to the Word of God. Be very careful about what you look at, what comes in through the gateway of your eyes and ears into your heart, because out of your heart flows the wellspring of life. So guard your heart. That's what the Bible says in Proverbs 4, 23. Let's go over one more, and then I'll finish up this episode. If you look in Song of Solomon 5, verse 1, my note on that, that passage is that we learn here that intimacy is something that must be deeply cherished and savored. The groom describes it like eating honey or drinking wine. It says that wine and honey are both consumed patiently with indulgence, yet not gluttony. In other words, you take the time to enjoy it, but it's not gluttonous. Because it talks about how you can eat honey a little bit, and it's sweet to the taste, but you eat too much, it's bitter to the stomach. Same thing about wine, that uh, you're supposed to little bits at a time, right? Otherwise, it gets you drunk, and drunkenness is, is sinful in Scripture. And so, he actually compares sexual intimacy with the way that a person would consume honey or wine, that it's to be savored, it's to be patient, it's to be uh, in, in this kind of careful and indulgent moderation. It's like that balance there. It's something to be enjoyed, just like you would eat honey, to be enjoyed. So the point is that sex should be savored and often enjoyed with ample time to, according to his words, to drink deeply. It's talking about really being deeply involved and really putting your heart into it. And it should not be treated with a get it over with attitude. So um, then I'm going to read a little bit here uh, to close this part. The Bible has a lot to say about a great marriage and great sex, and it's all practical. We simply need to remember, based on the theme of Song of Solomon, that sex is like poetry. It ebbs and flows. There's a patient journey of discovery to it. It's not a science to be analyzed or examined. It's not a discipline to be practiced. It's poetry. It needs to be relaxed and restful. It's never intended to be stress-inducing, stress-relieving. If sex is a matter of stress, conflict, or anxiety for you or your spouse, then it's especially important that you learn from what Song of Solomon has to say about it. Song of Solomon is emphatic about communicating that the bride and groom described in their story have an extremely meaningful and fulfilling sex life. It goes down to showing that it's hot, it's romantic, and it's all because it is sin-free. You don't need the world's help to develop a great sex life. You don't need the devil's help. You don't need sin's help to produce a holy and ultimately a hot marriage. You don't, you just don't need that. So just don't even go there. Not even in the little things. There's nothing in a marriage established this way that defiles. And that's why it's so good. So take note. So I wanted to read out of this chapter more than I typically do in these podcast episodes. It's just really good information, and so consider that your introduction to that chapter. I again encourage you to get a copy of the book if you don't have it yet. So, based on this chapter, I just want you guys to think about. A lot of this is going to be on you to develop for yourself. You just got to remember in your marriage, if if you're married, and even if you're single too, you're really got to pay close attention to the way that you think, the things that you expect, whether there's performance mentality, whether there's anxiety, stress involved in this, and so. Just be careful about it. Think about it for yourself. Talk about this with your spouse. Pay close attention to the scriptures that I've mentioned for you in this episode. Look into those verses about the law and grace and how that could influence a marriage. Look into those verses in Romans 15 about not pleasing yourself, but serving each other, selfless love, all these different things. And so that being said, that's what I will end this episode with. If you're interested in getting any one of these products, whether it be the book or this discussion guide, you can go to valiantmi.com store. That's all you'll find it. Thank you guys for listening and watching this podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your support. And I will talk to you next Thursday.